Wise Up podcast. This is your host, Ezra Siddiqui. As a reminder, Wise Up is my platform to educate the South Asian and Muslim communities about Texas and national politics. You can check out my Wise Up Facebook page, follow me on Twitter at Wise Up, that's my Twitter handle, find my podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn, along with my weekly segment on Radio Azad. Remember everyone, let's become educated, Get let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. So today's segment is called Navigating the Choppy Campaign Waters. I'll be discussing the latest political news, and we have another interview today with Wajiha Rizvi. Wajiha Rizvi is an attorney that works in Austin, Texas. She has been involved in politics for a very long time. She has campaigned both for the Texas Senate race for Wendy Davis and the presidential race in 2008 for President Barack Obama. But first, let's start with the political news of the week. So for the national news, last Tuesday, the New York primary occurred and Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump won. John Kasich got into second place and Ted Cruz was in third place. It is now rumored that Kasich is is looking for a vice presidential candidate. Bernie Sanders was upset with the results primarily because it was a closed primary. And if you remember from one of my earlier segments, the difference between a closed primary and an open primary, an open primary is it doesn't matter what um, party you're registered for, you can go and pick which party you want to vote for in the primary. Whereas with the closed primary, you already have registered for your party in advance, and that is the only um, primary that you can vote in. And since he is an independent, and there were many independent voters. The independent voters, since they're not registered for a Republican or Democrat, weren't able to vote in the primary. And he was pretty upset about this. Before the New York primary, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders had a debate in New York on policy, and it was probably one of their most heated debates that they've had to date. In other news, Harriet Tubman will now replace Andrew Jackson on the $20 bill. Ted Cruz and his staff refused to meet with any Muslim group on Muslim Capitol Hill Day, arousing much anger. There was a college student removed from a Southwest flight after saying the word inshallah, and there was a passenger on the flight that felt afraid and complained to Southwest, and they took him off the flight. This also caused a lot of controversy. Moving on to the Texas news. So the Texas Senate Committee of Health and Human Services held a hearing the other day about how refugees coming into Texas has been causing an impact in our state. And Amarillo was actually in the spotlight because they have the most refugees per capita of any Texas city. Their resources are being strained, according to their mayor. The overall tone of the hearing was pretty negative. Yes, there was talk about Islamophobia and about how many Muslim refugees were coming in and how that was an issue for some of the senators and that money is going to refugees while our veterans suffer was another big issue. And the worst part of the week that really impacted Texas was the city of Houston getting flooded really badly by last week's rains. Uh, While the rain and floodwaters have subsided, you also have to realize that many people in their apartments um, lost their homes, lost a lot of you know, basic needs, and they don't have beds or clothes. Um, one of the best things you can do is donate to the Red Cross. They've set up a particular 
venue on their website just for the Houston floods. If you go to redcross.org, you can do and find the Houston location. You can donate there. In other news, Texas made its case to the Supreme Court of the United States against President Obama's executive action on immigration. It was the Deferred Action for Parents of America, which is also known as DAPA. And according to the Texas Tribune, DAPA would shield 5 million undocumented immigrants in the U.S. from deportation proceedings and allow them to apply for a three-year work permit. The state of Texas, along with 26 other states, has argued that the President of the United States has overreached and is in violation of his constitutional duties. Now, you have to remember that the Supreme Court of the United States has eight judges because Merrick Garland's nomination hasn't really gone anywhere yet. And a four-four tie would uphold the lower court ruling in where they struck down President Obama's executive order. So that's something to look out for this summer when the results come out. Last but not least, Speaker Strauss, who is the Speaker of the House for the Texas House of Representatives, has laid out a few announcements about next legislative session. According to the Texas Tribune, Speaker Strauss does not intend to have big spending due to oil prices dropping and jobs being taken away. Um, he also mentioned that the state's foster care system will need a financial overhaul, which is very, very true and that the Supreme Court of Texas is still ruling on a school finance case. Basically, what happened here was a lot of the counties in Texas and school districts in Texas felt that the way that the state funded education wasn't equitable, so they took it to the Supreme Court of Texas, which still has yet to rule, and if they rule in favor of the school districts, it could cost a lot of money to the state in order to fix our overall education system. And that's the latest update on this week's political news. Let's move on to today's interview with Wajiha Rizvi. Joining us today is Wajiha Rizvi. She is an in-house regulatory attorney in Austin, Texas. Her community involvement includes work with organizations such as Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Central Texas. Asian Family Support Services of Austin, and Volunteer Legal Services. She dabbles in writing, primarily essays about the first-generation experience. She has been active in politics and political campaigns since she was in high school. Today, she'll be discussing her experience on the Wendy Davis and Obama campaign. Hi, Wajiha. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. So, I wanted to ask you, what motivated you to start campaigning to begin with? Um, so, I've always had an interest in politics, you know, ever since I was young. I used to wait for my dad to come home from work and we'd watch the Jim Lehrer News Hour on PBS, which oh, was riveting hour me of too. news. <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, around the dinner table, we'd always talk politics and things like that. So, I've always had a latent interest. Um, and then I think really what catalyzed me wanting to get involved in the public sphere was uh, the Islamophobia that came out of 9-11. Um, you know, it just really hit home for me that Muslims and South Asians just need to be a presence uh, to kind of put a human face on a very demonized uh, a group due to all the ignorance that had been kind of abounding at the time. So that's sort of where, where it all it started. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, I completely agree with you. It's something that we need to, as a community, become much more involved in. But I also think as a community, we're very unaware of how campaigning works um, and its structure. So I wanted to begin with some basic questions about campaigning. Um, so how does one start a campaign? Like, let's say, you know, I want to run for election. Where do I start? Because obviously, I know, I need to raise money to campaign. So... Yeah, so I think first and foremost, you you need to get a feel for exactly you know what the the nuts and bolts are, how you file to uh, become a candidate, you know if there are any filing fees, you know all of that stuff, just the kind of basic, obvious sort of things like that. But but really, what's key to be able to uh, run as a candidate and win is to learn more about the area. Um, you know, how many voters are you are you looking at? You know, in that given uh, race. Um, you know, what pl plays well with the voters? What is it that they, um, what are their values? You know, what mm -hmm. is something that, and, and you got to kind of generalize a little bit because obviously, you know, your electorate is not going to be, uh, you know, have of one mind. Right. Um, but, you know, you really just need to get a lay of the land. Are there any other candidates who are going to throw their hat in the ring? Um, you know, what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Um, what do the constituents love or hate about the incumbent? Things like that. Um, you know, it's also important to have a good team of staff and consultants around you. And, of course, that will vary depending on the scale of the, of the office you're running for. Um, a campaign budget is key, um, along with projections of what your fundraising is going to look like. Um, because so much of this comes down to money. Um, right. You know, and then obviously a campaign plan, you want to know what's your platform going to be? What makes you different mm -hmm. from the other candidates? Um, you know, what's your communication strategy and, and what's your messaging going to look like? So all of these things kind of go into um, your overall strategy and what you need to be thinking about um, if you're going to run for office. Wow, that seems pretty intense and very detailed. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it can be as detailed or, or, you know, broad and general as as the circumstances would call for, depending on, you know, if you're, if you're running for a school board, it might look very different from, you know, if you're running for U.S. Senate or something like right, that. Right, so, exactly. So, yeah, but it's, it's, I mean, the more details you can get on, you know, on paper or, or at least just well thought out. The better your campaign is. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I'm going to talk about the big question that everyone has about campaigns. Where does the money come from in campaigns? How does that, you know, that process function? Yeah, so again, you know, it really depends on the scale um, of, of the office you're running for. But, you know, fundraising obviously is, is so key, as, as you just mentioned. And, and uh, the candidate really needs to be prepared to make the ask of, you know, their donors. And so the donors will look differently depending on the level of the office, but it starts grassroots with every office from president mm -hmm. to something very local. You know, you want to start with your friends, your family, um, and that tends to make people really uncomfortable. Right. Um, colleagues, you know, your contacts, and then, you know, start branching out um, broader and broader, you know, um, depending on what your issues are, then you want to reach out to labor unions, to business organizations, um, religious groups, advocacy groups of any nature. Um, you know, those are, those are going to be sort of your next level out, um, of, of donors. And then you also have the party, you know, if you're running as a Republican or as a, as a, you know, the green party or uh -huh. a Democrat, um, you know, based on how pro high profile your office is, if it is, uh, you know, affiliated with a party, 
um, you know, they will also have some money for down ballot races or, you know, obviously the top of the ballot. Um, so it comes from a lot of different places, but what's most key um, is, is repeat donors. And, and to do that, you really need to make the donor feel like, and, and when I say you, it's really the candidate has to make the donor feel as though they're on board and they're invested. And so you really need to keep them apprised of um, the goings-on of the campaign so that they feel like they're a part of the team. And right. that's really where those repeat, uh, repeat donors come from. Okay, interesting. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned about the grassroots campaigning because it seems that's where one of our presidential candidates, Bernie Sanders, is getting most of his funding from. Am I correct? Right, right. And, you know, I think uh, my experience with the Obama campaign in 2008 was that was where a lot of his uh, support was coming from. It was coming from students and, you know, these these like small, low-dollar uh, donations. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, that, that really helped cause a sea change for him. So, so it's a good way. It's a good strategy. It is, because that's not something you normally think of. Mm-hmm. You know, to be honest, when I think of campaigning, I'm like, oh, it's all these rich people donating thousands of dollars or paying $10,000 a plate at some fancy campaign dinner. It's, uh, I feel like until the Obama administration came in that we really started seeing the grassroots campaigning and you see it again with the Bernie Sanders campaign. Yeah, and I think a lot of it had to do with his um, his social media platform. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, that was sort of the, the first really successful social media campaign and it's still being studied and people are writing books about it. I mean, it's it's something that, that campaigns are really trying to emulate now and and you know when you're able to reach out to um, send out a blast email and reach out to um, students and and you know have Facebook ads and, and things like that, then you're able to reach out to a whole other level of donor than you are with you know a plate of dinner. Right, so. that makes sense. So is the way that these people are building um, or attaining money for their campaigns? Is this the same way that they're building support for their campaigns as well? Do you think those tie in together? Or is that different? I think they do tie in together, um, but I think that you know you build support in in um, a lot of different ways, and and the money tends to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that it again just kind of depends on the size, but it also really depends on the expectations of the 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 voters in that area. For example, um, you know what makes a successful campaign and an effective campaign in. Uh, in New Hampshire, it might not look like the same as what makes a successful campaign in Texas. Right. Um, my experience working with uh, New Hampshire voters is there's definitely an expectation that they meet all of the candidates. Right. Because so, they're in the very beginning of that primary correct. caucus situation. Right. And I mean, you know, there's not a very large state population. So uh-huh. there, you actually have the ability, if you really want to, of going out there and meeting with, you know, 99% of the New Hampshire population. Um, and so, you know, it might not be as effective to send out a blast email and ask for money and then also expect to get that same support from, from that type of voter, if, if you kind of see where I'm going. So, um, so, you know, but, but expectations are different. Um, but it is so important to have a strong social media presence and, and just to have strong messaging and communications, um, you know, and an effective campaign is going to be. Um, solidified based on everybody staying on message. You know, when you've got yeah. a team in your campaign that is all communicating your platform, you want to make sure that they're doing it in the right way. And um, yeah, I think that makes sense. And yeah. 
I like the fact that you brought in how social media has become such a huge part of campaigning. And obviously the Obama administration brought that in first or his campaign brought that in first. And people attribute the social media or lack of social media campaigning for Jeb Bush's failure that he was unable to reach out to the younger voters or to properly use social media. And that was one of the reasons why he wasn't gaining that much popularity, whereas you see Donald Trump tweeting a million times a day yeah. <laughs> with his interesting rhetoric. But did you find anything unethical while working on the campaign trail? You know, I, I didn't have any experience with, um, you know, observing any sort of unethical behavior. But I mean, hey, you know, uh, frankly speaking, in, in politics, at a, at a general sense, without, you know, speaking directly to the Obama or the Winnie Davis campaign, um, there's just so much room for bad actors when you're dealing with campaign finance laws, when you're dealing with, you know, fundraising. And so there's always going to be room there. Um, but no, I didn't, I didn't really detect any, any bad behavior. Um, you know, I think it's funny because with the onslaught of super PACs, it right. seems as if a lot of the bad behavior or the unethical behavior has sort of been outsourced. You know, um, where you have a campaign that um, would benefit from the fact that they're, you know, with, with the campaign, you have a cap on fundraising or how Correct. much how much someone can donate to your campaign. So right. there's a cap on what's called that hard money. Mm -hmm. um, but with a super PAC, you know, the possibilities are endless. Right. And while super PACs can't donate directly to a campaign, um, you know, Citizens United, which now protects political speech as, you know, right. And that was a Supreme Amendment. Court ruling where that corporations would now be considered basically citizens of the United States. Correct. And it, and it, it allows they, for, you know, right. political giving from a corporation to be seen as, as, as protected speech under the first amendment. And so, um, so now you've got really not a lot of regulation on, on caps, on, on how much super PACs can raise. And, and while they can't donate directly to your campaign, they can now, you know, buy ad time. They can, um, you, they can campaign for your issues. Right. And so, um, you know, candidates see the, the direct benefit of that. And so, you know, I think that's kind of where, in my opinion, there's a little bit of a gray area in terms uh -huh. of ethics. And, and you hear people say that all the time that, you know, big money needs to be diluted in, in politics. And, and right. you know, so um, I think it's definitely a widely held belief. Right. So, you know, since you were mentioning super PACs, you see the Bernie Sanders campaign discussing how they don't have any super PACs and Hillary's campaign is taking money from super PACs. Do you think it's because Bernie Sanders hasn't really been offered any of those super PAC endorsements or he's really not taking any money from super PACs, period? I mean, I'm just curious as to what your take is on that, because I feel like we hear so much about candidates taking money from super PACs and it's just, it makes them get such a negative connotation. And then I'm also curious, well, you know, George Clooney hosted a dinner a couple days ago for the Democratic Party and his main message was, sure, I raised a lot of money and I'm doing it so that I can get more Democrats in the office in order to overturn Citizens United. Like he's playing the game in order to change the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I agree. You know, aside from what your thoughts are on how the system is and how it works, um, it's really, really hard to successfully run a campaign without 
seeing any, you know, benefits from that. You know, for example, I mean, you have to have money in order to run a campaign. Right. Even though you might believe that uh, campaigns in politics are just, or money in campaigns and politics are just, it's just, you know, inherently uh, just a bad idea. Uh Um, But in order to get your message out, you need to have, you know, fundraising. And so... um, with the the whole super PAC issue, you know, Bernie Sanders might not be directly uh, benefiting from a super PAC, but, you know, uh, there are any number of super PACs out there that might be aligned with his platform. And so any ad time they're buying campaigning on on his issues, um, you know, he's seeing a benefit from that because right. that's that's money he doesn't have to spend. And, um, you know, a great many times super PACs have, have far greater amounts of money than than a campaign will. Right. Um, so there was a super PAC that was for breaking up Wall Street. Yeah. And they donated a lot of money, you know, that he would see the benefit because that's enabling his platform. Correct. Yeah. Like, I mean, today's the, the you know, New York primary. Right. If they're, uh, you know, running ads, this, this super PAC, if they're running ads in New York, I mean, that could be a boon to him. Right. Um, so, you know, it's... So, you know, aside from how you feel about Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton, it's just very difficult, as you were saying, to, to, um, to change the system without working within the system in some form or fashion. And uh-huh. so, you know, you have things like this George Clooney dinner that's right. raising money to overturn Citizens United, which, you know, empowers money in politics. So it, you do have these sort of, uh, these kind of vicious cycle situations. Yeah. Those seem kind of difficult and hard to, to like navigate what's the best way of doing it. Right. But um, so let's move on to your experience with the Obama campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know what your overall experience was and just what motivated you to become part of his campaign. What about his platform did you really believe in that you felt entitled to spread his message? So I think um, what before getting into the overall experience, what appealed to me most about the um, the candidate, then Senator uh, Barack Obama, was really his background. Uh-huh. Um, I really thought it was interesting that he came from um, grassroots campaigning. I mean, he came from a community organizing background in the south side of Chicago. Um, he also, you know, comes from a diverse background culturally himself. Um, you know, and he, he was a constitutional lawyer. Right. Um, and so all of those things gave me the hope that maybe, maybe it would be, if I, if I worked for his campaign, it would put someone in office who could step outside of their privilege when assessing a situation or, or a stance on a certain, um, area of, of foreign policy, say, for example, to step outside of your privilege and see another point of view. And I think that's so important. And to me, in many ways, that's more important than your stance on, you know, one particular issue. It's who knows what the presidency is going to throw at you, but will you be able to um, to see past what your experience is? Uh-huh. And so that's kind of what, what appealed to me right. um, about about the Obama campaign. And, hey, it was it was at the height of... You know, just all of these young people going right. to work for this campaign. So I think some of it was like kind of just the excitement, the excitement around right. this yeah. sort of new way of of running a campaign. Yeah, um, I think in terms of my overall experience, you know, it was perfect timing for me. It was right between college and, and law school, so I took some time off, 
And, um, you know, it's just a really great opportunity to meet a lot of really smart young people. Uh-huh. Um, people from all over the world. Um, the world, actually, yeah. There are people from, from Europe and, and, you know, uh, of course, tons of people from from the U.S. who, um, you know, were there to just try and and see about changing things. And so it was really fun to, to work with them and, and just very, very igniting. Um, I always say that politics, especially campaigns, are a young woman's game. And I don't think I could ever do a campaign again, at least not at the, yeah, the hours field are just organizing insane. level. Yeah, I mean, the hours are insane. It's brutal. It's, it's, it's taxing mentally. And, but it's so much fun at the same yeah. time. I mean, it's your, you have no sleep, but everybody's like working for the same goal. And um, you're around really cool people. And you get to meet some really interesting people. For example, I got to meet Samantha Power, who's uh, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Um, I got to meet Susan Rice. Um, and, of course, you get to meet the candidate. Um, so you just get to meet, you know, oh, and Jay-Z and Beyonce were out. You know, <laughs> so it's like Queen you get to May. meet. Exactly. So you get to meet some really just interesting people and find yourself in an array of different experiences that you wouldn't get anywhere else. So it's, it was really positive. That's awesome. And I think it's amazing that you did that. I feel like not many South Asians are in the um, campaigning part of politics. So did you feel that other people were excited that there was a South Asian or a Muslim as part of their campaign? Did you encounter a lot of them while campaigning for the Obama? Uh, Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that there was, I was very warmly greeted and kind Uh of brought into the fold. Um, you know, I, it's interesting cause I, I like to kind of compare my experience, um, in Texas versus my experience in New Hampshire. Um, you know, so you were in New Hampshire for president Obama's campaign. Okay. Correct. And, um, I was in, in Texas for, uh, for the Wendy Davis campaign, okay. of course. So, um, so it's just, it's always interesting to kind of compare the response because, you know, of course, both campaigns were extremely warm, um, and welcoming of, 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 of me, um, and, and my background and everything and my family was extremely supportive mm-hmm. and friends. And, but what I think is funny is, is dealing with a totally different electorate that I had never had any experience with, you know, the New Hampshire voters. I think that was definitely yeah. sometimes positive, sometimes negative. Okay. Um, you know, I think along with a lot of really great interactions I had with some amazing uh, New Hampshire voters who take their role really seriously... You know, I also dealt with a little bit of ignorance mm-hmm. and um, and some hate, and you know that's just part of really in New Hampshire, right? Yep, <laughs> that's shocking because the Northeast always like to you know proud themselves of not being as racist as the South. It's funny, I was pretty surprised myself, uh-huh. um, but you know, and and for the most part, I mean, nothing against the state of New Hampshire. People there for the most part, everyone was warm and welcoming. But, you know, there is a lot, I think there's a lack of exposure to diversity. And um, so comes with that, you know, a lot of ignorance and hate. And so um, that was a really interesting experience for me to navigate because it was sort of my first um, experience with with racism. And at the time I used to wear a a headscarf, a hijab. So um, it was even more sort of... um, I mean, I was right there for everyone to see. Right, yeah. So, you know, it was it was not a situation where I could kind of go under the radar, right. um, as it were. But but I I would not trade that experience for anything. It was it it was great. 
even all the horrible parts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always good and bad yeah. parts to a campaign or in politics in general, but I think... I don't know. I'm still just kind of shocked at the fact that there... I, I'm sure that there's racism everywhere, mm -hmm. but that you would deal with it in New Hampshire. But did you feel... Did you feel it was, um, you know, even within the Democratic Party, as you were working through there, did you feel you got to make more people knowledgeable about South Asians and the Muslim culture? Oh, yeah. I mean, I... I so think you felt like you also even made an impact within your campaign group. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm patting myself on the back a little <laughs> bit too much, but um, hey, I mean, anytime you have like a diverse array of people um, coming together, you you have an exchange of ideas and an increased understanding. And I learned a lot about um, you know, I it was the first time I was friends with people who came from you know affluent New England prep schools, and uh -huh. I had never been exposed to that kind of background before, and I learned from their experience and as they learned from mine. And so, um, you know, it, it, and that's why I really encourage working in campaigns because you get so much interaction with so many different people, uh -huh. and you know, it's just, it's great exposure. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So what was the difference between the Obama campaign and now Wendy Davis's campaign? Did you feel like there were a lot of similarities? I know Texas is a completely different electorate, so right. there must have been differences there, but what was your overall experience with that? You know, it, it was different. Um, I felt so much more comfortable working at the Wendy Davis campaign because it was a smaller group. Um, it was a, you know, because it was a local, statewide, it, at the time it was for her Senate District 10 election, um, so it was the first time she was uh, running to get into uh, state politics. Okay. And so um, it was, you know, it was a great experience because I got a daily interaction with the candidate. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and you just get more responsibility because it's a smaller group of people. Right. And so, you know, when you're on a national campaign and every, there's just so much, you know, hype and, and it's just a different animal altogether. Um, and also, I grew up in the DFW area, so I was really familiar with um, with the area, what the concerns were of the voters, and it was a really good opportunity for me to be able to harness my contacts in the South Asian community. Uh -huh. And um, and luckily, the, the campaign was so welcoming of that, and they really encouraged um, that interplay. And so, you know, I was able to organize an event with... Um, you know, uh, several, uh, like sort of a, a kind of a house party type event. Um, and I guess house party is sort of like a like, campaign buzzword for sort of like a kind of a town hall in someone's house. Okay. And, and usually there's refreshments. So it's, it's, it's a like really, a dava, like a dava, <laughs> campaign yeah. dava. Absolutely. Oh, nice. <laughs> and you know, there's, except the food's probably not going to be as good as dava food. Yeah. But, but you know, and, and it's just a great way to have an up close and personal, um, Interaction. Interaction. Okay. And so I was able to organize a house party um, at uh, this great, Dr. Lalani, this, this great uh, and, and um, very active uh, activist within the community. He, was, uh, he hosted it and we had it with, um, you know, a large number of uh, members of the South Asian community in, in Fort Worth. And so um, it, was, it was great because many in that group felt that they had never been 
been sort of courted by a candidate before. Right. And they were able to talk about the things that keep them awake at night and what concerns they have with, right. um, you know, with someone who later went on to run for governor. Uh-huh. And, um, and so, she remembered those things because she had met our community and she realized our importance in the electorate, in the Texas electorate, mm-hmm. and what our values and concerns were. And do you think she addressed them well while she was senator and in her platform for governor? Yeah, you know, I think that she did. I think that um, something that she always kind of had in mind was, you know, what do what do people think who don't have a seat at this table? Uh-huh. And I think, you know, within that is the South Asian community and, and, and the Muslim community and really any new immigrant group. And so um, I'd like to think that, that that did kind of have an impact on it. And, um, you know, aside from that, we were able to... Um, get some, uh, you know, engage the South Asian community to come and do a phone bank. I hosted a phone bank at my parents' house. So we did, you know, a little phone bank and there were like uncles and aunties at the table. (laughs) And it was great. And, and everyone really enjoyed it. And so, um, I think it was, it was kind of a new, a new foray for a lot of people, but you know, that's just kind of the first steps to getting really to get like an interest group mobilized and engaged. That's amazing. I think it's awesome that you organize a phone bank. You know, I feel like our community needs to do that a lot more for the local elections coming up, especially so that our local candidates can understand our communities and our values. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, you know, Texas is a more Republican state. Did you face any racism, I guess, in Texas? I did not. <laughs> it's interesting. It's sort yeah. of the opposite of what you would uh, people expect, expect yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Senate District Ten at the time uh, was, you know, can you made... tell us which city? Sure. So at the time, it was like part, and and it's since been, been redistricted, been redistricted, and so right. the lines have changed a little bit. But it was, um, you know, downtown and the near south side of Fort Worth. Okay. Um, a little bit of you know Colleyville, Keller, South Lake area. So it was a large part of Tarrant County. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a lot of diversity there, and I think right. that that's kind of why I didn't have um, as much of you know of an experience with racism. ignorance or you know okay. racism and. And I mean, you know, both campaigns, uh, I think more so the Obama campaign, I mean, we were going um, door to door every day. And so, you know, that comes with a lot of anxiety as to, you know, what you're going to get yeah, exactly. on the other side of that door when you're standing on someone's property, um, asking them to vote a certain way. And so, um, you know, even in spite of all that, um, yeah, I, I had a, a a lot less um, experience with with racism and things like that with the the Wendy Davis campaign. Well, that's good to hear. Southern <laughs> hospitality is always amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last question I want to ask you is why should South Asians and Muslims become more involved in campaigning? You know, I always reiterate for people to vote, but I think our communities should also become more involved to campaign for other candidates and donate to candidates that align with our values. So, you know, what are your thoughts and personal experiences? I mean, personally, I grew up in Plano, and, you know, my parents and I, we campaigned for the Plano mayor um, two election cycles, and he won both of them. He was a Republican, and 
his daughter and I went to school together, but we did grassroots campaigning. We went door to door and, you know, got to really know our neighbors. It was the first time, you know, in the early 90s that they were even meeting Muslim people or South Asian people. And I felt like once we started doing that, people were a lot more welcoming and, you know, like less racist. I don't ever feel like I dealt with racism growing up in Plano because I felt like my parents had gotten so involved in politics early on. So I guess I want to also hear your personal experience with that and why we should become more involved. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, because, as I was saying earlier, because you are um, interacting with so many different people on so many different topics the conversation tends to go to what people are concerned about, right? You know, when you're trying to get someone else elected, no matter what side of the issue you're on, you always get to what keeps you up at night. And at the end of the day, no matter where we come from, what keeps us up at night is, you know, the safety and well-being of our loved ones, our families. So our values are almost almost always the same. And so I find that when you talk about those things, like you're talking about what you have in common, and suddenly you're putting a human face on, on, you know, someone who you may not have ever interacted with before. Uh And so, you know, the first time you you meet a Muslim and, oh, wait, they, they have the same concerns as I do. You know, I think it just starts the, it starts the dialogue and it starts breaking down you know, barriers. Uh Um, you know, I think that if we want as a group, if we want our collective struggles to be responded to, to be paid attention to, then we need to be more present. You know, if you're working on a local campaign or a state campaign and you get daily interaction with a candidate, there's your chance to, to, to have the ear of someone who could really have a lot of clout and influence in the future. Right. Um, you know, I agree. I think voting is a good start, but I don't necessarily think that it's enough. Um, right. You know, and and it doesn't necessarily need to be, in my opinion, a, a candidate that you support. It could be, you know, maybe there's a proposition that's coming up for an issue that you really care about, you know. Right. Or, or maybe it's like a local citizen board, you know, with, mm-hmm. with the city that you live in. Or a um, school board. Or a school board. You right. Know? Yeah. I mean, I think that... Um, Given the, and this is justifiable, I totally understand this, but given the level of vitriol at the national level, mm-hmm. I think that tends to kind of monopolize the, the political discourse and on all levels, you know, and, and people tend to see that, you know, when you see Trump say Muslims should be banned from the U.S., when you see Cruz say uh, you know, Muslim neighborhoods, you know, whatever that means, yeah, patrolling should, be, them. should be monitored or whatever, you know, it's really easy for someone to hear that and be like, I don't want to get involved in politics. Like this right. is dirty. This is everything I'm against. And, you know, and they're, they're vilifying me. But what I think we really need to step back and realize is, you know, so much of what's done at the state and local level Mm-hmm. affects our daily lives. Right. Whether that's, you know, what's on your child's plate at school lunch, whether it's what's in their curriculum, the state of in the Their roads. textbooks. Exactly. You know, and so if there's something that you're passionate about, I guarantee by, you know, one degree of separation um, or less that it's going to be affected by an elected body or an elected representative. And so it, it has to be something that we care about. 
Um, and so I always encourage people to get involved. I always encourage students to get involved and for parents to allow their, their children to get involved. Right. Um, it looks great on college applications and, <laughs> and grad school applications. Exactly. It's a great discussion point in a job. I mean, I still get, you know, at job interviews will get my campaign experience, um, brought up and, and people will just ask cause, cause there's a lot of, you know, mystery around what happens at a campaign. Exactly. So people will be like, oh, tell me more about, you know, your campaign experience and what did that look like? And even if you're, you know, your child is going to go to med school or be an engineer or become a lawyer, like it doesn't really matter. There is something that you do on a campaign that touches on, on any and all of that and more. And so I really encourage uh, people of all ages and, and people to go as a family um, kind of like what your family did right. with the mayoral race, um, just to get out there and, and to be involved. And, you know, I think that's step one in, um, in hopefully making things better for, right. for the South Asian community, for any new immigrant community, and for Muslims. Yeah, I agree with you. I think getting involved, I think campaigning is kind of the best way to really get involved in your community because you'll meet so many people, you'll realize you have a lot of the same values, and a lot of the same concerns that affect you. And I think that's one of the best ways for people to learn more about us, to understand us, and to reduce the hate that's coming out from people. Because at the end of the day, their fear comes from what they don't know. And they don't know us. And that's why we need to try and be better at that for people to understand us. And I think campaigning is a great way to do that, along with getting our political voice across. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Wajiha. We learned so much from you. It was a pleasure. The thank basics you. of campaigning. And I really appreciate all the knowledge you've given to me and my listeners. And if you have any last words to say. No, I just encourage you all to get out there. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can change things one campaign at a time. Sounds awesome. <laughs> I like your idea. <laughs> thank you again. Thanks. And that's my segment for today. I'd like to thank my guest, Wajiha Rizvi, for giving us an understanding about the great mystery of how campaigns work. And so my main takeaways from today are how campaign works, all the long hours campaign staffers work, along with not much pay, but a sense of satisfaction that they were working towards a good cause. Clarification on how super PACs and PACs, which are political action, action committees, work and how big money is working in a political campaign, how racism occurs in any place and that it isn't just the South, even though we get such a bad reputation for it. And last but not least, how South Asians can make a major difference by donating and campaigning. Voting isn't enough. And that's the main reason why I had Wajiha come on air is to talk about her experience and the positive impacts she made from her campaign experience. By campaigning, you get to meet and know your candidate, and they get to know you and your values. That's how it worked when my family and I campaigned for the mayor in Plano. We got to understand one another and how our cultures and communities worked, and we were able to make a positive impact for both. It's always starting at the grassroots, and it's a perfect way to become involved in your local community. So there's plenty of local elections still going on up until November 7th. I'm sure all of these local elections could use some volunteers. So if you hear of a candidate that you really identify with and want to campaign for, I highly suggest that you offer to volunteer. 
it would be a great way to get your candidate, hopefully, that they win and get to know the, the community members around you. So I hope you all enjoyed today's segment. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to check out my Facebook page, Twitter, and my website. So you can access my website from azrasiddiqui.com, A-Z-R-A-S-A-T-D-I-Q-I.com, or wiseuptx.com, W-I-S-E-U-P-T-X.com. Remember, y'all, let's become educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot.